0: I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume any authority over a man. She must be quiet. Now, before you throw anything at me or run out the back door, I didn't say that. That's what the Apostle Paul said. And uh, in the next few weeks, we're going to dive deeper into the Apostle Paul's writings and especially some of these statements like this. Really, all the troublesome verses for us as modern Westerners come from Paul, and we're gonna talk about that in a few weeks. And you might be like, why are you talking about this at all? Well, if you were here last week, you know we kicked off a new series about what the Bible says about the role of women and Remember a lot of our friends and maybe even you yourself have heard things said from the church And you're like that kind of makes me feel uncomfortable I don't know how I feel about that and it makes me hesitant about parts of Christianity So we're working through this idea and some of these concepts over the next few weeks remember in Christianity There's two broad strokes of theology about the role of women Complementarianism says men and women have different roles based around gender. Egalitarianism says men and women can both fulfill the same roles regardless of gender. God gives order around personality instead. And last week we talked about how bias affects how... how words get translated into english in the bible and even how we approach the bible it bias ap- affects how we approach a verse like first timothy two twelve, which i read at the beginning um, and even when we consider a topic like this now this week we're going to continue talking about how translation affects some of these ways we think about things every time the bible is translated from the original language into another language interpretation has to happen because there's not always a one-for-one um, a perfectly identical word in another language which of course brings us back to paul. What does paul say here? Paul says women cannot have authority over men And because of what we think of scripture as being a collaboration between god and mankind It makes it seem like this is what god wants Right that god wants woman to not have authority but does it is that what it's saying Well, Once again, we have to look at church history for the first 300 years of the church If you go back and look at the early church, men and women worked side by side leading churches, teaching the ways of Jesus, sharing the good news of his coming kingdom. These early Christian fathers and mothers are sometimes called the desert fathers and mothers because of their devout faithfulness to sit and ponder and seek God in desolate places, and just because they went to desolate places to avoid Roman persecution. But after 300 AD, something happened. Constantine, the emperor of Rome, married the Roman Empire and the church, and suddenly being a part of Christianity meant that you had both access to power and authority. And soon it became about who had power and how you could use Christianity to get power and to limit others' access to power. Um, Consider for example the latin commentary on the epistles written in the fourth century So this was after the roman empire and the church were married together by constantine Um, There was a latin commentary written on the epistles including this verse um, And it was written by pseudo ambrose now pseudo ambrose. You're like what kind of name is pseudo ambrose? That just means not ambrose or fake ambrose because the guy wrote under the name ambrose but everyone agreed who was his contemporaries that ambrose didn't write this someone wrote under the name of ambrose uh, a, a Much a, as a way to kind of get their writings out there. They wrote under this more popular theologians name But pseudo ambrose viewed first timothy two twelve, which we read at the beginning as requiring a strict system of patriarchy um, and You know, he, um, in his commentary, he writes that women were to be put under the power of men from the beginning of creation and should be, this is a quote, severely subjugated to men. This interpretation became the standard operating principle for the church throughout the dark ages. And then this language gets copied by the reformers the protestant reformation The reformers come in and they reference this latin commentary in their works. John Knox who was a Reformer wrote a book in 1558 on why the Bible doesn't allow queens to rule nations um, He said only kings should be leading nations not queens He called his book the first blast of the trumpet against the monstrous regiment of women What a title right? It felt like he's compensating for something with a title like that. But uh, Martin Luther also cited this same Latin commentary when stating a woman should never look wiser or more intelligent than her husband. If she's smarter than her husband, she should just hide it. In 1637, Annie Hutchinson was tried for teaching the Bible to people. How dare her? You know she taught the bible to people john winthrop was the puritan judge at her court case and he he accused her He said hey, you've been accused of teaching the bible How dare you as a woman and when she went to defend herself? He said the bible says you have to stay quiet. So you can't even defend yourself So she just had to sit there quietly at her own trial all these people who we would look at their writings and we would reference the, uh, the good, beneficial things that they did for the church, they kept referencing a Latin commentary written by an unknown author who used a fake name who said that women needed to be severely subjugated based on a bias that he brought to the Bible. Now, even if we take Paul's verse at face value, he never says anyone in there to severely subjugate women to men. That's something that pseudo-Ambrose Read into the text. It's using he used a text to support something he already wanted to do And this interpretation doesn't work when you look at the bible as a whole if we just looked at that verse That's the only verse we had in the whole bible. Maybe we could make an argument But there's a whole nother part of the bible the whole of the whole bible works together Consider with me this story from the hebrew scriptures judges chapter 4 verses 4 through 15. This is the story we're going to focus on today now deborah a prophetess the wife of lapidoth was leading israel at that time she was leading israel she held court under the palm of deborah between ramah and bethel in the hill country of ephraim and the israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided she sent for barak son of abinadam from kadesh and naphtali and said to him the lord the god of israel commands you "'Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulon "'and lead them up to Mount Tabor. "'I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, "'with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, "'and will give them into your hands.' "'And Barak said to her, "'If you go with me, then I will go. "'But if you don't go with me, I'm not going.' "'And she said, "'Certainly I'll go with you. "'But because of the course you are taking, "'the honor will not be yours, "'for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman.'" So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, um, there Barak summoned Zebulon and Nephtali and 10,000 men went up under his command, and Z- Deborah also went with him. Now Heber, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, the Zanium, near Kadesh, and when they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinadam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned, um, summoned his forces to the Kishon River, And all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. And then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? And so Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and his army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. I know there was a lot of, like... Ancient Hebrew words and places in that. But here's the thing the nation of Israel was being oppressed by another nation, they were under the role of a tyrant. And during this time, Deborah was leading the country, and she says, we keep being harassed by this tyrant. So she calls the general of the army and says, gather your forces. God is sending you out to defeat them. And that's exactly what they do. They go down. The enemy gathers his forces to oppose them, and they are completely wiped out, and the leader of the enemy army flees on foot. The first thing I want us to look at, though, is this phrase at the very beginning. Now, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoff. Um, In Hebrew, this is what it says. There's no articles in Hebrew, no a, and, or thes. Um, And so, literally, in Hebrew, the words are the Hebrew word for prophetess, the Hebrew word for woman, and the Hebrew word for flame. So, literally, it reads, Deborah, a prophetess, the woman of flames. Now, translators have decided that flames is a name. If you read in your, your English translation, most will say, the wife of Lapidoth. Lapidoff is the Hebrew word for flames, and they just kept the Hebrew word in there. Um, and so because it literally says, "Deborah, a prophetess, the woman of flames," they are saying that, well, she's the woman of a man named flames. And if she's the woman of a man's name, Flames, she's the wife of a man named Flames. Now, what's the problem with this? Well, Lapidoth never appears in the story. We don't ever see Deborah talk about a husband in the story. The name Lapidoth is never used as a name anywhere else in, Bi- in the Bible. Jewish tradition is that Deborah was married to Barak, the head of the army that goes out and fights in the battle here. So which one actually fits the passage? A husband who has no role in the story, who happened to have the name Flames? Or is the passage saying, Deborah is a woman who is fiery, bold, and brave? English translators looked at this and they said, hey, what makes more sense to us? Well, women are basically wives. So it's easier for me to say she's the wife of a guy named Lapidoth, flames, than it is for me to say she's a woman of fire. Hebrew is a poetic language. It wants to use signs and senses to convey truth. And this is part of what makes it so challenging to translate into English. English is a more literal language influenced by science. It has a much closer uh, basis to Greek than Hebrew does. That's why we, we like the New Testament. It translates a little bit cleaner for us. We like English because it lays out the facts in precise language that conveys clear ideas. Um, when you translate poetic language to a more literal language, it's, it's challenging. For instance, the Hebrew word for heaven is ha shamayim. Ha Can you say that? Yeah, yeah. Ha You learn some Hebrew. We translate it in English as heaven. In Hebrew, it means the water above. The water above. Sometimes it's translated sky, sometimes it's translated heaven, but it literally means the water above. Ruach is the Hebrew word that gets translated into English as spirit in Hebrew ruach means wind So your spirit is you're like I have a wind inside of me I have this living breath inside of me. That's Ruark. But do you see how Hebrew is a poetic language, and we're trying to translate it into English, and it's challenging. And so when translators come to the text, they have to interpret what it's trying to say, and then figure out how to put that into another language, and that's challenging. And when they came to Judges chapter 4 and looked at Deborah, they said, well, she's a woman. She's probably a wife, so we're going to say that this is a guy's name, instead of a way to describe her. Imagine translating a poem into a court document. You know, court documents are so boring. Like, they're just like, this person said this, and then this fact, and then this fact, and then this evidence was entered. Uh, Poetry doesn't translate like that. Something's lost in the process, even if you accurately reflect everything the poem was attempting to express. To translators who saw women as primarily wives and mothers, they could not see Deborah as anything else. And the text says, Deborah, woman of flames. And the translator said, this is Deborah, wife of a man named Flames. Could be. But poetically, it seems to make more sense reading the story to say, this was a woman on fire. One Hebrew scholar says it's interesting that lapidoth is not just the word for flames It's literally the word for the flames from a lightning strike So deborah isn't just a fiery woman. She's fiery like a lightning strike And uh, I think that's just a cool way to think about her But translators here avoided the more poetic interpretation interpretation of the text in favor of a more grounded one because it Fit their way of thinking and you might be like, okay, alex, why do we care? Like, who cares if she's married to a guy named Flames or if she's a fiery woman? Well, I think it's important because Deborah led Israel. Remember we just read that? She wasn't like— like, oh, I kind of advise the leaders of israel a little bit. You know i'm a background she led israel She was their de facto leader. She was a prophetess as well as their government leader She stood and said this is what god is saying to you Remember when she called barack to her her she said god wants you to go and do this She spoke in the place of god and I can't help but think what did the apostle paul think about that? What did pseudo ambrose think about What did the translators translating this into English who maybe had some biases think about that? See everyone came to her it said to have their matters judged. She wasn't just judging things for the women and the children. You know, like, oh, if a woman or a child has a problem, bring them to Deborah, she can sort it out. No, it said everyone was coming to her to have their matters judged. Men and women, older men, younger men, it didn't matter. Everyone, she just wasn't over the women's ministry or the children's ministry. She was the leader of everyone. When she sent for a man like Barak, he came. And when she said, this is what God says, they listened. And what she said didn't lead to ruin. It led to blessing. It led to men and women boys and girls being rescued from oppression from a foreign tyrant who was attacking their nation Now growing up, I was sometimes told this in churches I hope none of you were told anything this crazy But I was told that sometimes god will use women as a last resort if he can't find a single man to do the job Men are his first pick this type of thinking would say And if he goes through a million men and can't find a single one He'll use a woman and they would cite this story as an example They would quote judges 4 9 as a proof text where deborah says but because of the course you are taking The honor will not belong to you barak for the lord will deliver sisera Into the hands of a woman and they would kind of use that verse and they would say see god wanted to use barak They wanted him to be the leader, but he was too cowardly. So god had to use a woman That just doesn't fit the story at all The problem with reading the text that way is it makes no sense. The glory for killing the enemy leader didn't even go to Deborah. This isn't even talking about Deborah. It goes to Jael. We didn't read her story. It follows immediately after this. But the leader of the army gets down out of his chariot. He's fleeing on foot. He sees some tents. He goes up to him and he's like, hey, can I spend the night here? I'm exhausted from the battle. And there's a woman there named Jael. And she's like, sure, come in. She gives him some milk. He lays down and takes a nap and she goes, this is the tyrant. I know this guy and she takes a tent peg and she takes a hammer and she kills him in his sleep and the glory for defeating the of the leader of this enemy nation This tyrant goes to some random woman living out in a tent in the middle of nowhere That's what deborah's talking about when the glory for killing the enemy leader didn't go to brock. It ends up going to this unknown woman The glory of landing the killing blow on the foreign tyrant goes to this ordinary woman going about her ordinary day when she took an extraordinary action. But that doesn't take any of the glory Deborah received for coming up with the entire plan, for organizing the leadership, for taking part in the battle. Deborah summoned Barack. she gave him his marching orders, she's the one who came up with the entire idea. She's getting praise whether she went with Barack or not. She's the leader of the nation. She's gonna get the glory It's not that god was like well if barack had just done it without deborah, you know He would have got the glory that I wanted him to that just doesn't fit this story at all Deborah wasn't leading israel here because there were no men willing to do it She was leading israel because she was the best person to do it because god chose her to do it She was leading israel because that's what god created her to do If there's a choice between a competent compassionate female leader and an arrogant ignorant male leader God doesn't want us to pick the man to lead just because of his gender. He wants us to pick the best candidate Not the one that fixed some kind of sexist agenda If God has equipped someone with spiritual gifts, it would be standing in the way of God To prevent them from using those gifts If God made you to teach teach if God has made you to lead lead Find out how God has made you. Find out what purposes and plans He has put inside of you and ignore the pseudo Ambrose's with their opinions. At the heart of the question about the role of women in the Bible is a question about authority. Remember, that's the word that's used in that verse in 1 Timothy 2 12. Um, Paul says, I don't let men exercise authority over women. The word in Greek is actually really tricky to translate. The word for exercise authority is a really complicated Greek word, and exercise authority is a very complicated uh, translation, but we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But when translators chose the word, they chose the word authority, and that tells us something about what their agenda is. Often people cite Genesis 3 as a proof text that God ordained male dominance over women. In some branches of Christian theology, God the Father dominates the Son and the Spirit and the Trinity, and humanity dominates the creation, and men dominate women and children. And that's how some Christians think the world works, how the universe was set up. That's certainly what pseudo-Ambrose thought. But let's look closer at that proof text in Genesis 3.16. Genesis 3.16 says, To the woman, he said, Your sorrow will be greatly multiplied and your conception. In pain you will bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. What's happening here? The, The man and the woman have both rejected God's place for them in the Garden of Eden. They've tried to do things their own way. They've attempted to um gain wisdom without god and god is going through this list of results as a result of them stepping away from god and notice this wasn't god's ideal design this was a result of sin in the world male dominance of woman women isn't god's design it is sin's result now follow my logic here if men ruling over women is a result of sin Men partnering with and empowering women is a sign of jesus's restorative kingdom Redemption and restoration means overthrowing of the patriarchy If sin led to men dominating women then jesus as he's restoring a new eden as he's making us into If he's the new adam and creating a new humanity in us Then empowering and partnering with women should be signs of that redemption The view that the father dominates the son and the spirit completely rewrites the picture of the trinity in scripture The primary emotion in the relationship of the trinity is not authority It is love Mutual self-sacrificing giving of oneself to another the universe is designed around love because the trinity Operates with love not authority. It operates on self-sacrifice and shared authority not domination the problem with arguing that the world is set up around authority and domination is that it stands in complete contrast to how God is portrayed in the Bible. He's an ultimate authority, but he's always sharing his authority with others. If you read through, he's like, I create humans, and I'm giving them authority over this area, and I've created angels, and I'm giving them authority over this area, and my son comes to earth, and I've given him authority, and then what does Jesus do? He gives authority to his disciples who give authority to others' disciples. It's always shared authority, not domination. The man's role over the woman in human history is a part of what's gone wrong in the world and part of what needs to be put right. It is not God's original intention in creation. Redemption in Christ is about more than just supplanting these oppressive social inequalities. Sometimes we talk about... Modern churches sometimes talk about redemption in christ as like fixing all these social problems and it's about more than that Right. There's something broken inside of us that needs fixed, but certainly it is not about less than this And just as the gospel breaks down social hostilities between slave and free jew and greek Also, it should break down fallen social hierarchies between men and women So I think it's very clear looking at the story of Deborah whether or not she had a husband named flames She was a fiery woman and god used her to free oppressed and hurting people She spoke on behalf of god. She brought the word of god to people and the goal of seeing oppressed people go free Seeing more people come to know the life-giving path of following jesus is a good goal whether you are man or woman male or female Holding on to power, though, refusing to make space at the table and leading through domination is anti-Christ. It's against everything that Jesus did and was about. The goal of the Christian life for everyone, male and female, is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. So, what did Jesus do? Just like we ended last week, I want to end with this quote from Carlos Rodriguez. Jesus protected women. Jesus empowered women. Jesus honored women publicly. Jesus released the voice of women. Jesus confided in women. Jesus Jesus was funded by women. Jesus celebrated women by name. Jesus learned from women. Jesus respected women. And Jesus spoke of women as examples to follow. Now it's our turn.